from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Welcome back to the show. My name's Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccan. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know as we are barreling toward the end of the year, if, that is, you believe in the current calendar. Yes. Right? <laughs> I mean, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Uh, in a world where it's, uh, no, Are we going to do a three-part harmony? No. no, no. Well, okay, here, let's start this way. What's the What's the very last thing you watched on video before we recorded today? Like VHS? No, just video. Just any video on any screen. Oh, gosh. Ooh, I can't really remember, but right now I'm feeling lost in the woods. All right. Is that another Queen reference? Uh, that's a reference for all the parents out there who've watched Frozen, Frozen 2. 2. Oh, <laughs> was that the song that actually held up? I liked it. People were saying that the music was a little lackluster. Um, I'm sorry. Um, when, when 
when I get older, everything is going to make sense that is performed by Josh Gad is one of the best songs written who's, this year. Who's Josh Gad? Uh, he plays the little snowman Olaf? named Olaf. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So, <laughs> so you saw that. Uh, <laughs> Which is entirely a deep fake, basically. It's CGI. You know, it's right? like nothing real going on there. I watched The Irishman, which is an interesting uh, thing to bring up when, when we're talking about today's topic because it uses a- anti-aging, de-aging uh, technology, which is sort of a hybrid of like video and CGI to make the actors look younger in the earlier parts of the film where they're, you know, their younger selves. The movie takes place over decades uh, and it still has a little bit of that Uncanny Valley kind of vibe. It looks a little just too perfect, almost like a cut scene from a Final Fantasy game or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but you eventually stop noticing it. Um, so that was the last... I've been watching that. I had to watch it in two sittings. It's quite long. Oh, and right. of Scorsese would not approve. I, uh, I watched The Irishman on the recommendation of our own Paul Mission Control Deccan, who has fantastic, impeccable taste in film and also has a film of his own out available yeah. now on Amazon Prime. You okay with me plugging that, Paul? It's called Annie Get Your Gun. <laughs> there are some people here at the apartment complex, and they mean business. Uh, it does take place in the city. <laughs> Annie is involved. <laughs> and his, uh, Annie in the city. Uh, do check it out. You'll Astute listeners uh, will notice some cameos from some of our podcast cohort. And, <clears throat> Especially Ben. Well, uh, I think uh, my favorite turn is probably one of our super producers, Chandler Mays. Uh, he's, he's really the scene stealer for me. Uh, so check it out. Uh, tell us what you think. And – we can assure you to the best of our ability that the people who appear to be on screen saying and doing things are actually on screen saying and doing things. This is not a revolutionary thought. For centuries, people used to say seeing is believing. And this meant that while people can make up anything in conversation or writing, actually witnessing something with your own eyes presented inarguable proof of an event – This began to change with the rise of photography. Uh, Photographs could be faked. During the heyday of spiritualism in the West, uh, it was very common for uh, mediums or people purporting to be mediums to fake photographs, right? Ye old double exposure. Right, right, which was an unfamiliar alien technology to the casual observer. We cannot blame people for believing that. They saw it with their own eyes. They were unaware of the trickery that could or could not be involved. And then things escalate further with the dawn of moving pictures. That's when directors, filmmakers, and other industry professionals begin working assiduously to make the unreal seem real. For fantasy's sake. For fantasy's sake, yes, exactly, Matt. To bring the fantasies of the human mind to life of a sort on screen. Our species also quickly realized the power inherent in film. And at times, history has hinged on specific images or even just bits of video. So today's question, what happens in a world where seeing is no longer believing? What happens when the line between film fiction and film fact blur? Let's let's start with uh, some of the most immediately important video in the world, the news. Here are the facts. So according to a 2018 survey from the Pew Research Center, 47% of Americans prefer watching the news Um, rather than reading or listening to it. 34%, on the other hand, prefer to read the news and 19% to listen to it. 
And uh, and of those people who prefer their news on video, most of them still really want to watch it on a big screen, on a, a te- maybe not a huge screen, but a bigger screen like a television, um, rather than internet video, you know, maybe on your phone or on your computer. And that may be surprising to a lot of people listening. I know it's a little surprising to me. Right. I, I think it's because, look, this is just my mm-hmm. understanding of it, but I think uh, I think a lot of the people who end up responding to a Pew survey maybe are leaning more towards people who would be watching their televisions or maybe a little skewing, skewing a little older maybe. Or the kind of people who say, sure, I'll take a survey. Yeah. Right. Uh, That's just my read of it. I think it's a good point. And then Pew found just over four in 10, so four out of 10 United States adults uh, prefer TV compared with about a third who prefer the web and then 14% who prefer radio and seven, only 7% who actually want to read the words of the news. Right, for one reason or another. That's the other thing. We don't have a solid methodological grasp of how these questions were accurate, like how how they were built, how they were framed, and there's Mm -hmm. so much that goes into there. But these numbers feel pretty solid, if surprising. Uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, the four of us recording, obviously, longtime listeners, you know this, we don't just go home and turn on CNN, Fox, or MSNBC or something. We we get to the edges of stuff. We look into the weird things. And, yeah, g- you know. generally, uh, just really quickly, yeah. maybe we do a quick poll here. Uh, generally, if I'm if I'm consuming the news, it is through a written article. Uh, what about you guys? Yeah, I, I typically read stuff because of the way we research for the show and other shows. Um, it tends to be kind of our bread and butter. Occasionally watch documentary, um, read parts of books. We don't always have the luxury of reading you know, an entire book for one podcast episode, but definitely excerpts and chapters. And then occasionally you know, stuff like YouTube videos, which tend to sort of show you where the kind of internet culture, the zeitgeist is, is uh, um, you know, coming down on one side or the other of an issue. I think I would watch television more often if there were more um, – if, if there was a larger degree of variance in the narratives and stories presented here mm. in the West at least. So people like me naturally end up watching things on the internet because that's the easiest way to get opposing viewpoints, right? You want to see Xinhua or Al Jazeera or RT – all of which are imperfect, uh, then you you probably are not going to see that in your basic Comcast package, right? Yeah. So the majority of Americans don't prefer online video just yet, even though, you know, I think a lot of us listening, because we listen to podcasts, we're already all up on the internet yeah. for video content, for news, right? And for, honestly, audio podcasts about the news, like the Daily or the Zeitgeist. Yeah. I mean, they're... Daily Zeitgeist, there's all kinds of shows mm-hmm. out there that will give you what you need mm-hmm. in an audio way. The Economist, BBC Global mm-hmm. News, etc. cetera. Uh, and this, this makes sense for us, but even if the majority of Americans or the largest swath of Americans don't prefer online video just yet, at least for the news, there's no arguing that the internet has made a massive impact on video technology and filming in general. And we're in the midst of this evolution as we speak. It is an evolution at a very fast cadence. 
the earlier, the earliest and the earlier film technology, and you guys and, and Paul know this very, very well, like the earliest stuff was super expensive, highly specialized. It was cantankerous and it broke a lot. Add to that, distribution channels for anything filmed were owned by a, a fairly small number of corporate or state interests. And this meant that whether your film was a sci-fi blockbuster or whether it was just some shameless World War II propaganda, it would go through predictable channels. The same people would shake the same hands to get that to a theater or a screen near you. But the technology continued to evolve. Soon people were able to purchase televisions. And instead of relying on radios, they would be able to put an image with a sound. This played a huge role. Like the first televised presidential debate, you know about this one, right? Nixon and Kennedy? Oh, yeah. The, the, just the difference in their appearances and how much of a difference that made outside of the words they were saying. Exactly. So people listening to the radio, regardless of political party, thought that Nixon won the debate and people watching television, regardless of the political party, thought that Kennedy won the debate. So we were able to bring a small version of the big screen to living rooms around the world and happily ever after, right? Yes. Yeah, well, so then we had the rise of home projectors, VHS, like you had mentioned earlier, an old DVD and so on. These allowed viewers more agency. You didn't just have to stick to the programming dictated by your TV channels, your CBSs, your NBCs. Yeah, it's like a rudimentary early version of what we now think of as on-demand um, consuming of, of media, which has really changed the game entirely. Right, right. And we're still uh, – segments of the industry are still attempting to keep up with that change. As film technology improved, cost for equipment began to crater. Nowadays, filmmakers don't always have to go to a studio. You don't have to shake the same hands at Warner or whatever. And you could shoot a low-budget movie with technology available and – you know, make VHS copies, let's say, of it and distribute it locally or maybe to stores mm -hmm. in, a, in a local area. I'm just saying like in that time, even before, you know, nowadays, mm -hmm. it was possible to escape the studio. Right, right. And this escape from the studio, this exodus from the studio has accelerated the rise of home and internet video commingled and it led us to the current world, a world in which anyone with a little bit of scratch can purchase tools to make their own video. Right. And not only is it the democratization of creating, it's the democratization of consuming because, you know, anyone can upload a video to the internet for free on YouTube and you can uh, command your own audience depending on the quality of your work. Well, quality is sort of a loose term there, yeah. I guess. But at least in terms of how uh, salacious or how kind of hooky it is and how much it grabs people's attention. You can actually command uh, an audience of scale as a creator with very little overhead. Yeah, with worldwide virtually instant distribution. Sick. <laughs> yeah, so if these filmmakers have an internet connection, they can bypass those antiquated channels of distribution, send their work across the planet. Anyone else with web access can, in theory, Watch it to their heart's content, as much or as little as they wish. But don't feel bad for the old guard. The democratization of AV technology did not lead them to extinction. They evolved as well. Yeah, they had to. I mean, um, uh, a journalist in, say, Hong Kong now during the protests that we're experiencing can immediately post video and help out those news providers, shedding light on events that might have been otherwise um, relegated to the shadows. Reporters in Belgium or Bolivia 
can record political announcements at the Capitol live and stream it to millions of viewers or followers. The president can, you know, before having important meetings with world leaders, decide to talk for 45 minutes because the cameras are live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And other world leaders can be caught doing their own rendition of Mean Girls before <laughs> significant geopolitical events. Hot mic, hot mic. <laughs> All in all, this is impressive stuff, right? Live video has the potential to bring our incredibly litigious and bellicose species a little bit closer together. If everyone can see something happening, plain as day, at the same time, while it's happening, what on earth is there left to argue about? Seeing is believing, right? No. What? But we'll talk about it uh, right after we're from our sponsor. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Recently, over 100 million people had their personal information stolen in a major data breach. We're talking social security numbers, contact details, credit scores, and more, all taken from Capital One customers. Oh, that's me. And that means there's a good chance you were personally affected, folks. These kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe. It's not just Capital One. Equifax, Facebook, eBay, Uber, PlayStation, and Yahoo, they have all leaked passwords, credit card info, and bank numbers belonging to billions of users. That's why we use ExpressVPN to safeguard our personal data online. According to recent reports, hackers can make up to $1,000 when they sell someone's personal information on the dark web making people like us easy, lucrative targets. ExpressVPN is an app, and the app connects with just one click. It's lightning fast, and the best part is ExpressVPN costs less than 7 bucks a month to use. And listen, honestly, if a breach can happen to Capital One, it can easily happen to anyone else. So protect yourself with ExpressVPN, the number one VPN rated by TechRadar, CNET, The Verge, and countless others. You can use our special link, expressvpn.com slash conspiracy, right now to arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show and keep your information safe. That's expressvpn.com slash conspiracy for an extra three months free. Here's where it gets crazy. Hey, remember when we said that technology, that that stuff that lets us do all the things that we like to do, um, it's still evolving? Remember we talked about that? Uh, uh, well, we're on the precipice of this other thing, this uh, this new shift in video technology, and it is not um, – I, I don't see good things happening from it. It's going to be – like amazing for those dank memes, but for everything else, oh boy. Yeah, it's an inherently conspiratorial shift. Today we are talking about the rise of the deep fake, which sounds hyperbolic, but very much is not. What is a deep fake, somebody might be saying? Well, we're glad you asked. Our story starts with a fellow named Ian J. Goodfellow. (laughs) Assume A fellow named Goodfellow. (laughs) No, I think that's his real name. But... While you may not have heard of his name before, 
while you may be unfamiliar with the concept of deep fakes, you have almost certainly already encountered some version of Ian Goodfellow's work. He works extensively in areas of what we call machine learning. Anybody who remembers our earlier conversation about uh, machine consciousness with a friend of the show, Damian Patrick Williams, is is probably familiar with these uh, edges of science, the bleeding edge of artificial intelligence. Here's what Ian did. Essentially, he taught algorithms to play games with each other, specifically to kind of play game theory, which is still incredibly strange and important. And well, yeah, let's let's talk about what deep learning is really, because uh, we're talking about machine learning, just essentially teaching versions of artificial intelligence how to learn. And in this case, uh, this is a subfield of machine learning we're going to talk about called deep learning. And it's fascinating stuff. It is the, it's also the stuff of nightmares. It's the stuff of our eventual future and there's no way around it. But it's the concept of focusing algorithms that are, or focusing on algorithms that are uh, inspired by the way the human brain functions. And they are called artificial neural networks. And if you're watching the final season of Silicon Valley, mm. uh, you're getting kind of a crash course in that right now as the, well, as we're recording this, the penultimate episode just came out. Um, but anyway, it's it's really fascinating stuff. And Goodfellow, our friend Ian J. Goodfellow, actually wrote a book on this subject. Yeah, a book called his book about deep learning is called Deep Learning. Hey, come I, on. I, I know. I it's know. a coin. He's a busy guy. So he explains deep learning this way. He thinks of it in terms of a hierarchy of concepts. And he says having a hierarchy of concepts allows a computer to learn these complicated concepts by building them out of simpler ones, which is what we have spent a lot of time doing at How Stuff Works, right? This episode even. We right. just, well, we do. <laughs> kind of, yeah. That's how – because that's how our brains often approach things. We build toward that gestalt. So he says if we draw a graph showing how these concepts are built upon each other, we see that the graph is just visually, it's deep. It has a ton of layers. And he says for this reason, we call this approach to artificial intelligence deep learning. In plain English, what that means is that we as a species have programs that can work more and more like an organic brain. An artificial neural network is meant to function more and more like a brain. Uh, and he has one very well-known invention. This is, the, this is the engine behind his work that you have already seen. Even if you've never heard of a deep fake, you've never heard of Ian Goodfellow, and you've never heard of machine or deep learning. That's right. Uh, and it's his most well-known uh, invention, innovation. Uh, it's something that's called Generative Adversarial Network or a General Adversarial Network or GAN. And GANs um, enable algorithms to move beyond classifying data into uh, actually generating or creating images. Oh, yes. Now maybe you're, the gears are turning in your mind. Maybe I have seen something like this. Is it like the deep dream kind of stuff? Remember? Like Google's deep dream? Right. Yeah, yeah. where it would uh, sort of take a, like a face or an image and then it would pull things from elsewhere on the internet that it sort of matched up to those textures or, you know, spaces like to fill with other images of, say, like, dogs or slugs or, or what have you. And then people started animating them and they became these like hellscape kind of psychedelic nightmare images. Very Dolly-esque. Yeah, very Dolly-esque. Very Escher-y, just like super uh, 
trippy, really, for lack of a better term. Yeah, you're you're on the right track there because they are indeed related in terms of the science. Deep dream is a makes use of rather uh, something called a convolutional neural network or a convnet or CNN, which could be a little confusing. So they're they're very similar approaches uh, at, at basis. So. Uh, these generational adversarial networks are trying to trick each other. They can move beyond classifying data into generating or creating data, generating or creating images. So these two networks, these two generative adversarial networks, they attempt to fool each other into thinking that a given image as, is real and using as little as one image from that back and forth between what's called uh, the – uh, generative and the discriminative uh, sides of this thing, just using one image, they can create a video clip of a person. So they can animate a picture and they also can uh, – you can also take it a step further and have that animation speaking and what sounds like that person or that image's voice. Samsung's AI Center released a report on the science behind GAN and they said – such an approach is able to learn highly realistic and personalized talking head models of new people and even portrait paintings. It's new people, new, new people. people, created people, generated humans, and they look great. They really do. I'll say it. Some of them are attractive. <sighs> if you didn't know, <laughs> and you just saw a picture of a per, of one of these generated images on your dating app of choice, yeah. There are a couple you would probably swipe right on. I wouldn't know which way to swipe because I don't understand those things. But I uh, I totally get what you're saying. So – and it's startling because now – even now you can take tests where you attempt to identify uh, a real person from a generated talking head or image and it's tough. Yeah. We're getting closer and closer to traversing the uncanny valley. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's – it really is frustrating that it's not easier because for so long there, and I think you, uh, Noel, you referenced Final Fantasy cutscenes or something earlier mm -hmm. yeah. on. Like, I remember when that Final Fantasy movie came out a long time ago. It was, was almost all, a little too good at that point. Well, it was, yeah, it was all computer generated and it looked fantastic. It was a feature film. And I remember thinking uh, how incredible it was seeing that. And then seeing something like Avatar, where you've got these. Um, I forget what they're called, the Navi. Navi. The, the Navi that don't look human necessarily, but they look real enough, right? And then when you get to something like this and you're looking at these, just the portraits even, it feels it feels pretty scary not being able to trust your eyes to know if something is real or not, even though it's generated. Either way, if it was an actual image of a person and mm. it was taken, converted into data, you know, ones and zeros, then displayed on your screen, that's not a real person necessarily sure. you're looking at. It's a representation. But just knowing that a computer can fool you um, that hard is is pretty creepy. And very easily. Yeah. That's kind of why I wonder, too, why – well, you know, to be fair, a lot of the de-aging stuff in movies is quite good, so much better than it's ever been. But there were a couple spots in The Irishman where I was like, really? Like, I thought the technology was better than this, and, and it is. Uh, but I guess it's different when you're making a younger version that has to then coincide with written lines and map up to, you know, an actor's face and, you know, look believable in terms of the way the mouth moves and acting tics and all of that stuff that's specific to – 
a scene rather than a pre-existing video of some kind, right? And it also goes down to how much existing footage they may be able to obtain of when the person was that age. So that's yeah. one of the reasons why it, it probably works best with celebrities and political figures because there's – you know, not everybody did Taxi Driver when they were a kid, That's right? right? Yeah. So, uh, so the stuff with De Niro specifically, I would argue he just always looked vaguely in his late 30s to early 40s yeah. and somewhat perturbed. Like, right. was it a shart or is he mad about a relationship? <laughs> you know what I mean? His face has a story it tells. That's very I, I want to bring something up here quickly with the, the um, high-priced effects that were going on in a movie like The Irishman with these aging effects. It, this, these are designed to be displayed in the highest resolution possible. So you're Ooh. talking 4K, 1080p, something like that. It's designed to do that, right? It's on a streaming service. They don't know what you're going to play it on, what screen, but it's got to be high res, right? And what we're saying is it's fairly easy to discern that something is going on here at that high resolution. But what if it's a much lower resolution, more grainy, like a more GIF. destroyed, like a GIF, like a small YouTube video that isn't maybe 1080p or something or a, a cell phone camera video that then gets uploaded and degraded? It changes – our ability to discern some of Absolutely. these things. And we'll get to this, but again, all of this comes down to these algorithms, which, uh, as it turns out, require uh, an insane amount of computing power. Yes, know, yeah. To, to Even to do in these low-res forms, right? Yeah. For now, at least. That's exactly it, right. So think of it this way. Now, without too much of a hassle, as you are listening to today's episode, you can get this technology online you can create videos that are nearly impossible to identify as quote-unquote fake. For a fun example, we just want to keep it innocuous before we have to strap in and go down this rabbit hole. For a fun example, let's do two fun examples. Let's say you have a friend who knows you love Marvel movies. And so for, you know, your birthday, your quinceanera or whatever, they make a deep fake video where it looks like you're in a Marvel film. Uh, the Avengers all assemble and holy smokes, there's Derek. That's fun. All right, that seems fun. What a thoughtful, kind gift. Or to make it a little more applicable to our show, uh, one thing that would be a fantastic deep fake present uh, for our very own super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccan, would be to take an Applebee's commercial and just put him in it. Oh, man. And so he's the person there, you know, uh, gesturing in amazement as the, the, the ribs and the bottomless jalapeno poppers or whatever come out. <laughs> and we could even have him say the tagline in his voice. That is so much fun. But that is not the only use of this technology. Make no mistake, the lid of Pandora's jar, and it was a jar, is unscrewed. This technology is no longer theoretical. It is very real, and it is immensely dangerous. Why? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Psych, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> it's not you. even us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you thought this was conspiracy stuff? <laughs> we're just your car talking to you. This is my real voice and Robert De Niro. <laughs> uh, so, so, terrible De Niro impressions aside, there are applications of deep fakes which should trouble every single person or bot listening to this show. I did not initially think of the first application, which was dumb and naive of me. Apparently, one of the first things people tried to do when GAN technology uh, got out of its got out of its research R and D hidey hole was to apply it to pornography. And pornography drives a lot of technology. I, I mean, arguably, there's a very good case to be made that the reason VHS won out over Betamax was because the porn studios went with VHS. Yeah, I. Don't want to be crass or get too much away here, but I do remember far before this technology was available when Photoshopping was really the only option, there were sites, I want to say early on in the internet, mm -hmm. where it was just sites dedicated to celebrity uh, pornography, uh, where it was just Photoshopped images on yeah. purpose. That would be pretty crazy applying it to video um, with this new technology. 
Yikes. Black Mirror-esque, right? Like, imagine you are a creep with a crush on someone. It could be a colleague, a classmate, a celebrity. It, it, you know what? It could be uh, an historical figure. Maybe King Tut just really does it for you for some reason. <laughs> Why <laughs> the not? actual King Tut. Yeah, the, the actual one. We know <laughs> what the guy actually looks like now. And Not Steve Martin. Not Steve Martin. He's one of the best banjo players in the world. And he really does do it for me, at least. But uh, <laughs> so, in this case. <laughs> so, okay, so let's Steve Martin example then, Matt. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a crush. It becomes creepy, however, if you use deep fake technology and put Steve Martin's face on the face of someone in a pornographic video, especially when the video will genuinely look real and it will sound like them. This is not science fiction. This is the idea behind a website with the immensely creative name Deep Nudes. Oh, boy. Deep Nudes did exactly what we just described here. Luckily, the founder eventually canceled the site's launch, uh, and and they, they had a public statement about it. Yeah, and the founder actually eventually canceled launching the site, um, noting that, quote, the probability that people will misuse it is too high. Oh, uh, never would have never would have thought that. What? Huh? <laughs> Somebody's going to misuse this? <laughs> There's a great Mitchell and Webb sketch about like an evil scientist where where he's like, "I built the ultraviolence laser to save the world, not destroy it." <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll send it to you guys. We maybe we could post it on uh here's where it gets crazy. But that's just one use. That's the immediate one. And again, I I don't know about you guys, but I felt naive for not Immediately assuming that's what would happen. I, yeah, I think it's it's pretty obvious. It's just, hey, cheers, guys, for not always thinking about pornography. I guess so, yeah. It just felt awkward when I was talking to some contacts about this off air, and they looked at me like I was from, you know, a, a different universe or time period when they said, I'm like, yeah, porn. I said, Ben, it's, that's why people have technology is to get better porn. Yeah. Which I don't know. If, I don't know whether that's completely true, but it was, it was a weird night. There's another use of deepfakes that is more apparent and has the potential. So, like this this fake pornography or this fake um, rendition of people in these intimate times, it can ruin an individual's life. Yeah, it could right? be blackmail, and it could be blackmail. Uh, but there's another version of a deep fake a weaponized deep fake that could ruin the lives of hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Yeah, because we can't forget that um, a lot of countries, including us, are very heavily entrenched um, in this notion of asymmetrical warfare called uh, cyber war. Yeah. Awkwardly called yeah, cyber yeah, war. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, many world leaders have extensive, like you said, Ben, video footage um, out there of themselves at functions, giving speeches. Speeches, uh, events, and the like. Uh, there's more than enough for Gan to to work from mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So let's say, uh, who can we use as an example? All right, Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. did Steve Martin earlier. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So let's say, let's say, Matt, you and Noel are the leaders of these different opposing countries. There's been a lot of tension for a while. Okay. Right? Uh, so if there was someone, either on one of your sides or a third party, let's say I'm a country that just messes with other countries for fun, right? I'm Russia, I'm the US, I'm, I'm one of, one of the, the hits, right? And 
I say, you know what's going to be great? I can't take on uh, uh, Nolandia or the Republic of Frederick with conventional military might. So I'm going to turn them, uh, turn them against each other. I'm going to foment instability or I'm going to mess with their election by just going on Facebook. I don't need to launch an ICBM. I'm just going to go on Facebook and Twitter. I'm going to make fake videos of leaders of both countries, Nolandia and the Republic of Frederick, and I'm going to have them say things that they would never actually say. This sounds like a <laughs> we're building toward a comedy bit, but there's a real fake, vi- a real fake video, multiple levels, of uh, Nancy Pelosi, a politician here in the U.S. And have you guys seen this video? I have not seen this one. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it came out with a nice side-by-side view. But the deep fake video was also propagated on its own. It's very interesting to watch the difference between the two. This gives us a chance to rewrite history in a disturbingly Orwellian way. What happens if, for example, all original – let's say Noel makes uh, an historic speech in Nolandia that triggers a, a new golden age for the country and someone destroys the original copies of this profound speech – and replaces it with a deep fake. Ooh. And then the last living generation, the last people who were there when the original speech was propagated, they can keep its memory alive. But when they die, history has in a very real way changed. Now, I don't know if this counts or not, but uh, there was a, a brief period recently where there were some what I would consider deep fake gifts that were making the rounds. There's like Obama on a skateboard. Uh, there's one of the Pope uh, doing a magic trick where he like pulls the uh, the tablecloth out from under some kind of votives like at a like on an event, like a live CNN uh, stream. Which and I choose to I, – I know it's fake, but I'm just going to believe in it. But they're so good. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I, I wanted to believe in it as well especially the Obama on a skateboard one. But is that kind of fall is that sort yeah. of fall under these like this category? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a a less dangerous version, you know, because that's fun. Seeing seeing the Pope pull off a dope magic trick is not gonna like foment instability in South America. But going back to our example, let's let's assume uh, the Republic of Frederick and Nolandia are kind are beefed up to the level of like Pakistan and India or Israel and Palestine. And all of a sudden, in no traceable way, the public of both countries gets hit with this barrage of videos that seem to say, seem, seem to have, you know, uh, the benevolent dictator, uh, Matt Frederick, and the uh, prime minister of Nolandia, Noel Brown, seems He's to have— He's also a dictator, by the way. <laughs> He's just officially not in his title. Okay, so— so the uh, let's these these guys have these videos wherein each of them are announcing their tish, their intention to deploy nuclear weapons and mop the uh, mop the adjacent country clean. Let no stone stand on another. How would you know if you're the audience of this other country? How would you know whether these were real or fake? How would you react? How much time would you have if you think that you literally saw the leader of the country that you previously went to war with saying, that's it, we're launching in five? Well, it's it's really scary because the way that would function – it would be posted somewhere and it would become viral on social media. So quickly. That's the only way that it would propagate, but it would propagate likely. And I'm just going to say personally, what I would do in that situation is go to 
the standby that we discussed at the top. I would probably turn a TV on somewhere just to check and see if somebody is talking about it seriously, you know, on one of the major outlets. Mm -hmm. The problem is what if you fool them? Um, then Which happens all the time. Yeah. Well, even with quote unquote fake news, everyone's so into getting the scoop with these with the fast cycle, the turnaround of yeah. news that everyone wants to be the first. So they tend to not vet things like they used to, mm-hmm. and that's how you often get these uh, misreporting of election results, etc. You know, and this is just a perfect example of someone's like, here's a good example. There is a deep fake Donald Trump P tape that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what if that had been? Pushed out, you know, yeah. by let's say, you know, uh, some a network opposing the, the Trump administration. That didn't happen. Um, now that we know a little bit more about deep fakes being a thing, maybe there's some caution. No one wants to be the news agency that does that. But with a, a inflammatory enough thing, maybe you don't have time to think about it. Well, see, yeah, here's here's what I wanted to to bring up in the examples we're talking about with. You know, a speech or something that exists. So you, so in theory, you would take the base level video of the speech and may maybe that audio. Then you'd manipulate the audio and then the face, right, or something to where the the words being spoken are different on that video. I think the scariest ones, the scariest versions of this. Um, are where it's supposed to be a hidden camera or something mm-hmm. where it's like I was saying before, it's so degraded, it's difficult to truly make out what's going on. But you can tell that, oh, that's definitely Billy Eichner. And where you can, you know, your brain is at least telling you that. And it sounds like Billy Eichner's voice saying things. Who's Billy Eichner? Uh, uh, Billy on the street. Billy he's on a, the he's street. A comedian. He was in Parks and Rec. He's the really like uh, wound up guy from Eagleton. That ends up working in the office when they combine. I'm so glad you guys are here. Like I recognize maybe three out of five. Billy Eichner, he's the guy that accosts people on the street with a microphone and just yells celebrity names at them and stuff. I thought that was Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey. Well, he, he, he does a similar that bit. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> okay, but sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm derailing this. It's okay. The, the point is there's a, there's a human being that you know that is famous for one reason or another, pa- okay. possibly powerful, okay. and their, their voice is being manipulated. But the video itself isn't something that you can uh, reference to like a speech or to a movie or something that you remember or you can verify with. It looks like a brand new video. But you can still tell that it's that person, their mouth is moving, and the words coming out are something awful. I feel like we're putting this in an accurate, humorous way. Uh, We do have to emphasize this is a very scary thing, Matt. You've built a beautiful example that leads us to another nefarious use of deep fakes, which will happen. It absolutely will happen. False accusations. Uh, Ah, yes, exactly. So according to the – Andrea Hickerson, who is the director of the School of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of South Carolina. This is a problem because at the most basic level, deep fakes are lies disguised to look like truth. Uh, And Hickerson says if we take them as truth or evidence, we can easily make false conclusions with potentially disastrous consequences. So if you want to ruin someone's life, you want to smear a political opponent or you just don't really like your neighbor, you don't like their their 
their vibe. Yeah. It just irks you. Then you could, with this with this capacity in the future, you would be able to make something where it appears that they're saying something terrible, where they're like, yeah, I don't know, kicking puppies, burning buildings, just whatever to feel something. You know what I mean? Uh, also, I, uh, I, le- I rent scooters and I leave them in the middle of the sidewalk because I'm that guy. I'm the one. And then it would look real. Uh, but if we go back to Orwell, this becomes even more dangerous because we have to consider activism and heavy-handed state actors. It's already dangerous to be an activist. To, to Noel's example about Hong Kong, right? People are in danger. People are dying. They're fighting um, a, an authoritarian massive state. So currently, state, corporate, and criminal actors seeking to silence dissidents all use the ordinary toolkit of suppression. All the time-tested stuff, all the smooth jazz, all the hits, threats, violence, kidnapping, smear campaigns, incarceration, disappearing, and, of course, assassination, the breakout single of suppression, right? Oh, man. But soon, even as we record this, state actors will have a new and powerful tool. If, for instance, you are protesting something and you are the leader, the face of activism in, say, Hong Kong or one of the many other places around the world where protests are active, the authorities or the opposition would be able to make videos in which you are on camera disagreeing with the status quo saying, hey, they were right all along. I had a change of heart and I want to confess that my motives were not pure. I was paid by someone else to do this. So I apologize. I'm turning myself in. And then the actual you finds out about this when your confession is aired on the news and people start contacting you. Yeah, that is uh, an intense hypothetical currently situation. It's going to happen. I know. I, I know. Right now it's just it is possible. Well, that leads us to a lot of things that, that need to happen or, or potentially are going to happen. And I want to lead with this. It's really interesting. In, in, in the law now, um, and, and lawyers out there, correct me if I'm oversimplifying this, but um, video evidence isn't like the end-all, be-all already, right? It has to fit a couple of requirements in order to be admissible in the first place, which is relevance and authenticity. Yeah, which so that, is chain of custody. Chain of custody. There's a lot of things that go into that, and we're going to get into that in a minute, uh, and also potentially what might have to happen as this technology gets better and better. But um, video evidence can be considered hearsay if there isn't someone to corroborate it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. If it's the only evidence, that's not a great case. Uh, it, it, you know, an eyewitness, you know, I was just saying the good crime shows, an eyeball witness is really your best bet to getting a conviction. Video and video alone, if that's all you got, especially if it's like grainy security cam footage, a lawyer could say that uh, is not a reasonable representation of the subject being displayed or in question, et cetera. But what this comes down to is like, when is the law going to catch up to this new technology in terms of that chain of custody? God. Because that's the thing. If we can't believe our eyes, like we said at the top of the show, you said, Ben, seeing isn't really believing. How do we authenticate this stuff? It's going to have to be that chain of custody that's kept under lock and key. So we know that the footage we're seeing was captured and then disseminated with no in-between. Right. Just video is not enough. That's why Bigfoot will never see a day in jail. (laughs) Ever. 
<laughs> and he needs to be there. <laughs> he really does. But, you know, here's the other thing. We can't trust our memories either. We're talking about in court video without corroboration from a witness doesn't work. And the witness is the best way, the eyewitness. But the eyewitness is very unreliable. It's perhaps the most unreliable thing that exists as far as evidence goes. Mm-hmm. So what the heck do we trust when it comes to evidence of something that actually happened? The approach is at, uh, uh, one of accretion, of aggregation, right? You have to have well, multiple, like Noel said, you got to have multiple things so you can say, you can triangulate a little bit, say, yeah, memory's imperfect. We can't trust video alone, but we have yeah. video and we have a witness. And then um, maybe we have some other forensic evidence like a gun, uh, casings of, uh, you know, spent shells were found uh, and they match uh, the gun. I completely agree. And you're right. It's just what worries me is that what is stopping, let's say, world leaders and powerful people who do wrong things where a video is an actual video is taken, maybe a surveillance cam video is taken of some wrongdoing occurring. Let's say as as high as an assassination, as something as dire as that occurs on camera, but there are no witnesses. But for sure on camera, there is a world leader shooting somebody in the head. What is stopping them from saying, oh, well, that's a deep fake video, obviously. I'm so glad you said that because that's the other side of the coin, right? If you are caught on video doing something despicable, doing something illegal, whatever, you can just say, I have enemies. This was a deep fake. You know, my ex hates me or uh, I am... Uh, I am doing work for, I don't know, whatever, a union or something or an NGO. So there's not a very good way to refute that other than having to resort to as much other corroborating evidence as you can. And then again, you have to rely on, like you said, those eyeball witnesses whose memories at times can be very financially motivated. Wow. So so, in the end, we're relying on law. Which is such an old concept. Right. I think this is <laughs> I think this is where you were going, Nolan. I know this is something we've talked about on this show so often because it's so important. Technology will always outpace legislation. If we finally get around to making a law about something, the, the horse has already left the barn. Uh, the, you know, the detainee has already pulled the black hood off and is well on their way to international waters. Oh, jeez. In the summer of 2019, the U.S. House of Representatives Intelligence Committee sent a letter. They didn't pass anything. They sent a letter to the big socials, Twitter, Facebook, Google, asking them how these sites planned to fight against deep fakes, particularly in the 2020 election. And this all came about because, remember, we mentioned that deep fake video of Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker here in the U.S., the current president, President Donald Trump, uh, didn't just co-sign that deep fake video. He retweeted it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're saying he wasn't just like saying, hey, watch out for this fake video of my friend Nancy Pelosi? No. No. No, no. He, he, he put it out there like uh, he, he was implying that it was, was real. Yeah, he's a savage on Twitter too, as anybody knows on Twitter. As a matter of fact, if you look at his record, he disagrees with himself extensively. Well, it's just – it's one of those things where it it really shows how convincing these things can be. I, I think back to – I think we've mentioned it on this show before, but the Jordan Peele deepfake video of President Obama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it looks like 
President Barack Obama sitting at a chair in the Oval Office somewhere and he's just saying weird things. And it sounds pretty close to him. Mm-hmm. But it's actually just Jordan Peele doing uh, a voice, like a voiceover in the character that he's played before on uh, Key and Peele. And it is, it's pretty disturbing. And I think uh, it speaks to how well Jordan's uh, impression is or how good his impression is. But it also speaks to the ability, this ability of matching that face, turning it into or, or changing the way the president's mouth is moving to match the words. And if you imagine the technology that is coming out right now where you can take five seconds of any voice recording and then you can recreate that voice saying anything you want it to. Again, this is a small research project coming out of a couple uh, universities. But you could – if you combined that voice-changing technology with the face-changing manipulating technology, you get you get to a point where it will truly be – we will be unable to tell. That's right. And we know that therefore there's a ticking time bomb on this, right? So the the presidential retweet of that deep fake video is what inspired the House of Representatives to send that letter. But this followed a request from Congress that occurred earlier this year in January where they asked the DNI, Director of National Intelligence, to give a formal report on deep fake technology. It was basically – Explain it to us so that we sound like we know what's going on with our constituents. And also, of course, there's more than a little self-preservation involved because these are members of Congress, right? So we know that we have to have legislation involved, but we also know there's a big chance that it's just not going to be enough. It's too easy to do this. It's too convenient. It's too powerful, right? Really quick, in our industry as, as podcasters, there's a, there's an audio equivalent of this that's kind of on the on the horizon. Frankenbiting's next evolution, very much so. Um, I, I found out about this through a third party. I can't name names. I don't think it's technology that's really on the market yet. Um, but literally, an algorithm that could sweep through our catalog, me, you, Ben, and, and Matt. Um, run an algorithm on our catalog, and then you could feed it lines, uh, and it'll it'll approximate our voices. And I've heard it in action, and it, it does a, a very convincing job. And on the one hand, we could say, oh, cool, we don't have to read ads anymore. But on the other hand, we could say, oh, oh cool. no, we don't have jobs anymore. <laughs> we don't because need podcasters. We don't need podcasts anymore. I mean, I'm just saying, like, the, the – um, uh, the implications of stuff like this, it's always more far-reaching than you would originally yeah. think. You well, know? you know, that's why Dan is ending Harmontown. It's because he's just going to take all the voices and bottom together and make a whole new podcast that he can just write. Did I tell you I watched the last episode? I, yeah. it was No, you didn't tell me, but I, I'm glad that you did, you too. You watched it, too? Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, end of an era for sure. But then now we have the scary proposition, and I think I'm I think I'm familiar with what you're talking about, Noel. Uh, we have the scary proposition where if someone has enough audio uh, footage to pull from, then Harmontown would never have to end. It would just get really weird because the technology would still need to evolve. I'm telling you, that's what he's doing, guys. That's what I'm saying. Like he's going to make Rob Schraub say whatever he wants. It's going to be amazing. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I'll, I'll tune in. I'll tune in. If you guys are listening, let us know. Uh, we would we would love to hear it, and we applaud you for pioneering into this brave, new, strange world. Government institutions like our favorite mad scientist DARPA and researchers at colleges like you had mentioned, Matt, Carnegie Mellon, University of Washington, Stanford, so on, are also experimenting with deep fake technology. They're, they're experimenting in two different but very related paths. One, they want to figure out how to use it, how to make it better. And two, while doing that, they want to figure out how to stop it. So Thank the, you. these goals are kind of contradictory unless they <laughs> build in some kind of equivalent of a governor switch. You know, like for anyone uh, unfamiliar with automobiles, uh, some, uh, some engines have a specific switch in there that limits the performance of the engine. The governor. Oh. Right. Like in long distance trucks, especially, there's a company, I only know this because I knew a guy that, that was a, a long haul truck driver, and uh, there's a company called Swift that everyone jokes in the industry stands for sure wish I had a fast truck mm-hmm. because they are notorious for putting governors on there that, I mean, I guess it's a calculation you make as a business in terms of the risk risk, you know, versus like how fast can we get there versus how likely are our drivers going to drive too fast and potentially put themselves at, at risk and others and, you know, open up for liability and lawsuits. But yeah, that's absolutely a thing. So uh, Bluebird uh, buses would be another great example. And they have their own very interesting story. Bird scooters uh, have digitally triggered governors where like we mm. have an area in town called the Beltline where it geotargets that area. And when you ride them on our Beltline, which is like a almost like the High Line in New York, it's like a walking trail, but you can ride the scooters. It does not allow you to go past a certain speed that Whoa. you could go past elsewhere mm. in the city. Man, I remember I had one on my 95 Dodge Caravan. Did Top, you really? Topped it out right around 95. <laughs> so <laughs> so we're talking about the t- technological analog. That's why I'm bringing up governor switches because re- it seems like researching the improvement of a given technology while also researching a way to stymie that technology means that you would ultimately build in something like that. And ideally, you would want it to be proprietary such that you would control it. So in a way, these institutions are competing. Uh, who will control? Control the nature of the truth and reality. That's a, that's a big See? question, but it's it's there. I think I think we need some kind of tech ethics board, or you know, or advisory committee like techics, like te- like techics, yeah, techics, yeah, techics. We should do that. We should get somebody to come through and like create a something that but everybody has to sign. Doesn't that have to be self imposed by like these tech companies? You know what I mean? Like I don't know. If you get like a Gavin Belson or somebody like that, you could probably get everybody else on board. Like, you know, a big name. You'd have to uh you have to ruin some people in the beginning character? for an example. You'd have to ruin some people in the beginning for an example. Probably. But but I think you could you could push it through. You just you just name dropped a fictional character. I just want to point that out to Wait, you. what? Yeah, just Huh? I'm just putting that out there. Who? And he Silicon Valley fans out there. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying you, to put you, something in there. You, that... you literally made me do a double take. Wait a minute. Like, is he? Who is he? How come I haven't heard of him? Oh yeah, fi- fiction. I was trying to Easter egg it. Sorry, dude. Fine. I shouldn't have said anything. He played that. along, Ben. You played along perfectly. Oh, thanks, man. That was beautiful. I really screwed it all up, guys. Sorry. <laughs> well, what what's next? Really, I mean, I think I, I think right now, regardless, there are people who are pro deep fake technology. Uh, yeah. there's, there's a very convincing argument 
or I think a very exciting argument that this could fundamentally change what we think of as film as entertainment. Because imagine you have the perfect role for an actor who has passed uh, and you want them to be in your film. With this kind of technology, you can do it plausibly. And that means that coupled also with machine learning writing of fiction, we could arrive at a time in our individual or collective lives where a film is made without human involvement on the creative end. How insane is that? Forward to the future, I say. No redos. We know that other researchers are attempting to do that, like combining the different versions and types of neural networks to write a screenplay, Mm. to do some voiceover at work, you know, um, to actually shoot video and edit video. Um, it's it's all happening. It's just a matter of time. I think you're right on the money there, Ben. So where does this leave us for 2020 and beyond? We're at a we're at a dilemma because it's it's really a matter of free expression versus true deception. According to Sharon Bradford Franklin, as uh, policy director for uh, the Open Technology Institute out of New America, deep fake videos threaten our civic discourse and can cause serious reputational and psychic harm to individuals. Right. They also make it more challenging for platforms to engage in responsible moderation of content, which is already a huge problem for anyone who's been paying attention to the latest news about Facebook. While the public is understandably calling for social media companies to develop techniques to detect and prevent the spread of deepfakes, we must also avoid establishing legal rules that push too far in the opposite direction and pressure platforms to engage in censorship of free expression online. So to take your earlier argument, which again, Matt, I love where someone says, that's not me, this is a deep fake. Yeah. What happens if you were posting something, let's say uh, you're an activist or you've, you've, uh, a whistleblower or a whistleblower. Yes. Even better. And you propagate this film that is indisputable proof of the shenanigans you said were occurring all along, and then the people who have their their hands on the switches, their you know their fingers on the faucet, they just say, "Oh, that's a deep fake," and they turn it off. We were always at war with East Asia. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's harrowing when you put that at the end, Ben. <laughs> we were always at war with East Asia, right? I mean, but where do you where do you think this is going? I I would say one person's opinion that it's it's going to continue. It will not disappear. I will say if you want to see a really really um, jarringly good example of uh, what yeah. this can look like, it's a video of um, uh, Bill Hader. On is it the Letterman show? No. Yeah, it was an older. It was an it's older. It's a talk show. It was yeah, a talk they took show. an old clip. It was an old clip. It's of Bill Hader. I believe it's the Letterman show. Or it might be Conan, and he's telling the story about meeting Tom Cruise um, at a, a party of some kind. It had to do with. Um, no, he was not what it was. He was in that movie Tropic Thunder with with Tom Cruise, and he sees he meets Tom Cruise at the uh, the premiere. And Bill Hader at this point isn't like huge. He's uh, you know on SNL. He's known for doing impressions, etc. So, of course, when he's telling the story, he's doing the Tom Cruise impression when he's doing Tom Cruise's parts of the story. And he's a great impressionist. And he's a great impressionist. And in this deep – in this video, every time he starts to lapse into the Tom Cruise voice, his face turns into Tom Cruise. And it is it is jarringly good. And it's, it's, almost, it's borderline like it makes your brain kind of like – 
spasm a little mm. bit because it's just so good. He also does a great impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Al Pacino, I want to say, and the, you can see the same technology at play. The Tom Cruise one, I would say, is the best example because their faces are already a little more similar. Well, this one even though goes a little further where he, he starts to do a Seth Rogen impression later and then his face becomes Seth Rogen. But the way it does, it morphs where it just like for a split second, it'll be Seth Rogen and then it's back to Bill Hader. But the Tom Tom Cruise parts are, are shockingly uh, good. It doesn't look like mapping. It doesn't look like projection mapping or, you know, it, it really very much is like he becomes him and everything seems – you can tell it's like pulling from something that Tom Cruise did where he was acting, you know, like – but like you said, Ben, this video that we're seeing doesn't really exist in the wild. It's like a – you know, um, composite of like all of this stuff that's out there, right? Are you seeing it, Matt? Well, yeah, I've seen it. And there's the there's one that's called the Deep Fake Impressionist or Deep. Mm. There's there's another Im, uh, impersonator. It's a uh, Instagram account that I, I follow as well that, that does a lot of these. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, all I know is this one guy that I've seen several videos of. I couldn't even tell you his name right now, but he got together with somebody. They made an entire video of nonstop versions of this, and it really is convincing. Um, crazy. And this is just the beginning. People will look back on this era uh, as the halcyon days of uh, discernible fakes, at least if this continues. We're, oh, yeah. Just the time of us knowing what was real and what was not. Right. Where, <laughs> where do you see this technology going, folks? We want to pass the torch to you. Let us know. And on the way, send us your favorite deep fakes. You can post them on our community page. Here's where it gets crazy on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can also find every episode we have ever done on our website, stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com. And we don't put this out there enough, but as the holiday are coming around. Remember, we've got a Tee Public store. So if you want to get some some awesome stuff they don't want you to know, Mugs, gifts, whatever it is. Mouse uh, pads. Do it. And, you know, that's – look, candidly and upfront, we get a tiny, tiny, witty, bitty percentage, but you are supporting our show by by doing this. And the designs are cool. They're yeah. really cool. I, I genuinely wear my new red stuff they don't want you to know shirt oh, you're one all of those the time. Guys, ben, yeah. Ben's got the old school. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. That's awesome. The text, like a, the text version. Like a Superman movie, right? Look, uh, <laughs> we feel weird wearing our own thing. So a lot of times we do what Ben's doing. You put something over it. But but when you wear it, it's almost like, for me, like having the Superman's thing on, you know? I feel. wear the stuff they don't want you to know signature tidy whities What? I wear the stuff they don't want you to know snuggy. Do you actually have, I have underwear? Them custom made, yes. Oh my god! I don't think T Public offers it. I had to outsource it. And more importantly, uh, we have a good authority. I don't know if you guys get these texts too, but every time somebody buys something from the store, I get a, a text from Connell that just says, "One more day." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not on that chain, but uh, I'd like to get on there. That that would be fun. Really, it would really just fuel my uh, my neuroses. Yeah, right. Uh, if what if maybe you're listening, and you're saying, okay, even if I assume that you guys are real and your voices are not being faked by that technology you alluded to earlier, I hate social media. I think that real conversations have to happen uh, uh, on the phone because that's how I am. What do you do then? You can call us. We are one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Leave a message. Tell us what you think. Uh, tell us what you, uh, about a deep fake video. Maybe 
make a deep fake video and send it our way. Whatever. I, it doesn't matter. Just call us. Tell us your what you think about this episode and give us suggestions for other episodes. Remember when Photoshop was like the original deep fake? Yes. You know? Definitely. I used to Photoshop images of Josh Clark on the Hulk. I used to do that a lot. Mm. I used to Photoshop images of you guys yeah. uh, onto things. That was one of my favorite things to do, put it in videos. I remember we were mentioning that earlier in the episode uh, with Photoshop, and I was I was thinking the exact same thing. I didn't, I didn't want to play your hand for you, but uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Matt is actually quite talented at Photoshop. I think a lot of people in this office are. You, got, you would be selling yourself short if you said you didn't have them, Mr. Boland or Brown. Uh, so anyway, call us. That was the end of that. <laughs> Just so that you know, you could call us. If you don't want to do that, you can always reach us via our email. That's right. We have an email. It is conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.